You're listening to the weekly broadcast of Grace Church, an independent Bible teaching church in Wichita Falls, Texas. This week we're beginning our Easter 2023 series. We're calling The Emotions of Easter with a look at Palm Sunday. With this week's message, here's shepherding pastor Joe Cook. For a number of weeks now, we've been studying the Songs of Ascent. It's these three pilgrim festivals throughout in the, in the history of the Hebrew people where they would go and make this journey to Jerusalem. And as they would make their way there, they would sing these songs. And these songs created anticipation in their hearts and it helped them understand what they were going to Jerusalem to do, to meet with God at this very special place where he had set his name. Now I want you to realize that it was not a very, very large city normally But these three festival feasts, the population would have just exploded. Uh, Numbers vary from tens of thousands to hundreds of thousands, some even into the millions. There were a lot of people there. I don't know if you've ever been in a large crowd of people, maybe at a stadium, maybe at a concert, maybe at some kind of gathering, and some loud noise happens or something, and suddenly the crowd's in a frenzy. They're scared. What's going on? Or maybe you're at a, at a football game and your side wins, a, you know, scores a touchdown and they would say the crowd went into a frenzy. Or maybe something's happened in your life that has sent you into your own personal frenzy. We've been choosing emotion words for this Passion Week. Today being Palm Sunday, we're going to use the word frenzy, which maybe sounds a little strange to you, so we're going to define it here in just a second. But this idea is, it's not just one emotion, it's multiple emotions. So let's define that so we all know what we're talking about. Frenzy, a state of great activity and strong emotion. Notice it's not a defined emotion. As Blake said earlier, people reacted very differently to Jesus. And they had a lot of different emotions in response to him. But also notice it's often violent, frightening, not under control, If you've ever been in a crowd full of frenzy, you know there's a little bit of an element of chaos. Maybe you've heard the term used like a feeding frenzy among some wild dogs, or maybe a a speaker whipped the crowd into a frenzy. It's very seldom is it positive. Oftentimes it's just this chaos. So why would we choose that word for, for Palm Sunday, this celebratory time where we see Jesus, the Prince of Peace, the King of the world, riding in, finding... Their people have been waiting for the Messiah for so long, and we're going to see some celebrate him. But what we're going to see is there's a lot of mixed emotions, and there's going to be a frenzy of activity. Think with me a little bit just about his life in general. He grew up in relative obscurity in this backwater town of Nazareth, and then suddenly he appears on the scene, and he's working miracles. He's healing the lame. He's He's even raised the dead, some are saying. Blind people see. And so information and disinformation is spreading like wildfire through this little nation. And this was before the internet and cell phones. One thing about it, if you were there very long, you've either heard something about him or know somebody that's heard something about him. You may be excited about him. You may be concerned about him. It's unlikely that you would be neutral about him. And when he would show up, people had a common question, who is this guy? Once Jesus asked his disciples, he said, 
he looked at him, he said, who do y'all, or who do people say that I am? And this is what their response was. This is in Matthew 16. Who do people say that the Son of Man is? That's a reference to himself. They said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. Now, that's who people were saying. I want you to catch something. You probably noticed it. They're all wrong. That's not who he was. And so then he looks at his closest disciples, the the people that have been traveling with him for years now, and he says, what about y'all, plural? What do y'all say about me? And this is Peter's great moment. He stands up and he says, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus said, you're right. And you know what? He was right. But, but they were struggling to understand exactly what that meant. Today, as we look at Palm Sunday and we see Jesus riding into the town, some people will call him Messiah, but do they really understand what that means? We're going to see him riding in peacefully, but it's going to cause a frenzy. He's going to be the Prince of Peace. You think, who wouldn't want the Prince of Peace to come? We've been waiting for a Messiah for so long, and yet what's going to happen is we're going to see that Jesus causes stirring. He causes a stampede, and he causes people to stumble. So if you will, join me in Matthew chapter 21. And let's uh, remind ourselves of what happens on that day, Matthew 21. If you don't have a copy of Scripture, you're welcome to step back there to the little shelf and grab one. If you don't have a copy that you own, you're welcome to keep that. So let's look at chapter 21 in Matthew. Now, we're going to look at 17 verses. We're going to start by reading 11. I want to read this longer section because I just want us to remind ourselves of what's taking place on that day. Remember, it's that one of those great pilgrim festivals. There's, there's hundreds of thousands of people gathering. And this is what we read. Now, when they drew near to Jerusalem and they came to Bethpage, to the Mount of Olives, Then Jesus sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. And this took place to fulfill what was spoken of the prophet, saying, Now notice right here, we're going to refer back to a prophecy. This this particular scene that we're going to see had been mentioned centuries and centuries before. Look at what we read. Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble, mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. Disciples went and did as Jesus directed them. And they brought the donkey and the colt, and they put their cloaks on him, and they sat down on him. He sat down on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road. Others cut branches from trees and spread them on the road. These would be the palm branches. This is where we get the idea of Palm Sunday. They laid some down. They waved some. They laid their cloaks down. Now think about that. You take your coat off so a donkey can walk on it. This was their version of laying out the red carpet for a dignitary, for this one. The people get it. Remember, they're the pilgrims who've been singing these songs of ascent. They know the scripture. This is a Messiah-type symbology. We're going to recognize it. 
we continue. They're singing Hosanna. The crowds went before him, verse 9, and they followed him and were shouting, Hosanna, which means God save, to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Then pay attention to verse 10. And when he entered, the, and when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred. They were stirred up saying, who is this? And the crowd said, well, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth of Galilee. Did you catch the question? Who is this? Every time Jesus shows up, people ask that question. Who is this? And there's going to be a lot of different answers. That word stirred that you see there, we get our English word seismic from it. Think about a bomb, a huge bomb dropping, and the shock waves that would go out, or an earthquake that takes place, and the aftershocks. There's, there's re- reverberations throughout the whole city. The city is li- literally buzzing with the name of Jesus and with the question, who is this? Jesus entered Jerusalem this for the last time. One person writes about it this way. Jesus entered Jerusalem for the last time in a manner Now notice, that showed that he was none other than the Messiah, the son of David, who was coming to Zion to claim the city as his own. It was unmistakable. These these people that were in the city at this time were educated. They knew the scriptures. They knew what had been promised. The messianic symboling here, it's, it's, it's undeniable. You could not have missed it. Those quotations were from Isaiah and Zechariah. They saw it, they saw a Messiah, but were they really understanding what type of Messiah what was? They're missing something. Who is this? He's on a donkey, that was prophesied. Surely this is the Messiah, right? But what kind of Messiah? Listen to what Constable says. Rulers rode donkeys in Israel in times of peace. This was a sign that their humble service to the people Warriors rode horses. Jesus was preparing to declare his messianic, his messiahship by fulfilling the messianic prophecy. By becoming, by, by coming in peace, he was extending grace rather than judgment to the city. He was coming as a servant now, and then Constable notes, later he'll come on a horse, he'll come to judge. What Constable is saying there is very important for us to catch, because the people then missed it. You see, he came as a prince of peace. He came as a savior. He came as one presenting grace. And it stirred the people because he wasn't the kind of Messiah that they were looking for. Now, everybody in the city is either excited, concerned, but it's unlikely anybody's neutral. As they see him coming, as they see people, see kids praising him, what kind of Messiah do they think he's going to be? We read this most of the time at Christmas. I love this passage. You probably do too. For unto us a child is born, to us his son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, and his name shall be Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father. And look at the last words, Prince of Peace. Why wouldn't you want a Prince of Peace to ride into the city? Why wouldn't you be excited? You're a Jewish person who's been making this trip three times a year, and here he comes, and you're excited. But what we're going to see later in that week is some of the same people reject him. And why is that? 
because they really don't know what it means that he's the Messiah. How can a prince of peace cause a frenzy? A prince of peace causes frenzy when you're in a world that wants a war. And the world that he rode into, they wanted war. They wanted a Messiah on a white horse. You see, at their time, they had a bad government. They had a government that was oppressing them. They had a government that was torturous to them. And they wanted a Messiah that would come in and make the bad government go away and make the bad people go away. Maybe you and I can relate to that. But Jesus came in on a donkey. He didn't come in on a white horse to destroy the bad government, to get rid of Nero. He came in and he said things like, I want you to pray for your enemies. Uh, my enemies, Herod, yeah. Caesar, yeah. That Roman centurion that's been torturing our air, pray for him. Love him, in fact. In fact, if that Roman soldier asks you to carry his backpack a mile, I'm going to encourage you to carry it too. Are you starting to catch on why they weren't real happy with him? He came as the Prince of Peace, but they didn't want a Prince of Peace. They wanted a Messiah with a sword, dripping in blood, ready to wipe out all of their enemies. And he comes in peacefully on a donkey. He didn't come to save them from people. He didn't come to save them from a government. He came to save them from themselves. He came to save them from sin. If I were to set up a table out here this morning, and as you're walking out, each of you had to have an interview with me, and I gave you a piece of paper and a pen, and I said, okay, I want you to write down, what do you think's wrong with the world? And, you know, one page or less, okay? All of you would have something to say. And I bet of the hundreds of people we have in here and those watching by live stream, I bet we would get a lot of different opinions. Some of them would be the same. Some would talk about certain political figures, certain political movements. Some would talk about cultural issues. Some would talk about the violence that they've seen in the last week on social media. Everybody would have something that they would talk about. Most of it would involve other people. And the thing is, Jesus came for those other people. Jesus came for the people that were oppressing his people. And he told them that, and they did not like that. Years and years ago in the past century, some of you have heard this illustration before, the New York Times, they, they put out a, an article or they asked a question to the readership. What's wrong with the world? Just like the question I would ask you. This was the response from one person from England. Dear sir, regarding your article, what's wrong with the world? I am. Yours truly, G.K. Chesterton. It was the shortest response they got and it was the most accurate response that they got. The reason Jesus coming into the city as the Prince of Peace made some people angry, made some people reject him, confused everybody, is his way of doing things was very different from what they wanted. The question would be, will we take Jesus as he is on Palm Sunday? As we think about Passion Week, will we let him stir our hearts a little bit? Will we recognize that maybe Jesus isn't exactly what we want him to be. Maybe all those bad people that we wish he would take care of, maybe he's asking us to love them. You see, the gospel itself is an offense. 
Jesus came and he paid the price. We're going to talk about his death, burial, and resurrection this week. It's going to be our primary focus. And he did that to pay for your sin, to pay for all of the bad things that everybody's done, including the people you don't like, including the people I don't like, to save them all. We are in the age of grace and the doors are wide open and they're open to everybody. Jesus described it this way in John 6. He said, for this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks to the Son and notice and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. That's a message for everybody. It was for the Romans. It was for the Sadducees. It was for the Pharisees. It was for the criminal. It was for the tax collector. It was for the prostitute. It was for all of these people. There were people who had lots of different opinions for him, and he offers salvation to them all as a gift. And that's kind of offensive because we'd like to earn it or win it or somehow pay for it. And he says, no, it's, it's a gift. If you're here this morning and you've never accepted that gift, I would invite you to humble yourself. And I would invite you to recognize that you need a Savior, that he came because of the, the sinfulness that's in you and it's in me and for the whole world, and he offers that to us as a simple gift. When he does, when you receive it, that frenzy inside of you can be calmed, okay? But the world is still going to be in a frenzy. There's going to still be people that haven't agreed to that yet, haven't accepted that gift yet, and where we go next, we're going to see some more frenzy. Jesus is going to cause a stampede. Now, If you're following along and you're familiar with the synoptics, Mark has this happening the next day. Matthew doesn't really specify the cleansing of the temple as being the next day. He treats it more thematically. These things go together. Jesus came in as the Prince of Peace to claim that city. Here, we see him walk into the temple, and he's going to claim that this is my house. And we're going to see what he does there. So look with me. At verse 12, <clears throat> and Jesus entered the temple, and he drove out all who sold and bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables and the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. And he said to them, It is written, My house shall be called a house of prayer, but you make it a den of robbers. This is that great scene in the life of Jesus where he walks into the temple. And there's all of these people selling animals and changing money, and Jesus starts turning over tables. Can you see it? Can you use your imagination? It's a crowded area. A table gets turned over, and you hear it. And you hear people screaming and yelling, and suddenly everybody's in a frenzy. There's coins rolling around. There's probably kids scrambling for the coins. There's people yelling at him. There's animals stampeding through. And there was a frenzy taking place that day. And Jesus did it on purpose because they were cheating people in his house. The issue wasn't that they were selling animals. That was provided for in the Old Testament. The issue was where they were doing it. The temple complex in that day was huge. The court of Gentiles would have been much bigger than this room. And that is where the scribes and the Pharisees decided to sell the animals, sell the goats, sell the lambs, sell the the birds. Think of the noise that would have been there. 
Here's the problem. That was the only place someone who wasn't a Jew could come to be close to God. This place where God's name had been set, a Gentile could only go this far and no further. This was a place where a Gentile could come and pray, and yet it was filled with the sound of sheep. It was filled with the smell of sheep. It was filled with the sound of people haggling over different things, and people were angry, and it was crowded. Not only was that the only place a Gentile could go, it was not only two places that a, that a lame or a handicapped person in Judea could go. They could go there and into the court of women, but no further. This was a place where people were to be welcome, and it's a place where people are being abused. Jesus said, do you notice, it's to be called a house of prayer. <clears throat> and in that Isaiah quote, it says to be a house of prayer for all nations. This is a place where everybody was to be welcome. This was a place where you could come and learn about this God, Yahweh, and get to know him better, and yet it was a place of chaos, and Jesus was furious. And that's why he turned over the tables and he drew people out. You know, that's God's attitude about his false shepherds. That's his attitude about people who are supposed to be caring for the people who are seeking and not taking care of them. You have shared that emotion probably watching TV looking at social media, another scandal with a priest, another scandal with a preacher, someone who's a moralist or somebody who's supposed to be upstanding or a church or denomination, and you hear about the immorality and the abuse of people, and you grieve. And I want you to know something today. God grieves with you, and he always has. In the Old Testament, there's an interesting chapter. I would encourage you to go and read all of it. We don't have time to read it all this morning in Ezekiel 34, Jesus, I'm sorry, in Ezekiel 34, God is going to be rebuking false shepherds of Israel. Woe to these shepherds is what he says. And look what you read. The weak you have not strengthened, they were supposed to. The sick you have not healed, they were supposed to. The injured you have not bound up, they were supposed to. And notice... The strayed you have not brought back, the lost you have not sought, and with force and harshness you have ruled over them. God's angry. This is his accusation against the false shepherds several centuries prior. And then a few verses later, this is what he says. Apologize for my allergies. Thus says the Lord God, behold... I am against the shepherds. Wow. Just let that sink in. Shepherds, I'm against you. And I will require the sheep at your hand, at their hand, and stop you from feeding them. In other words, you're going to lose your job, and you're going to have to deal with me. You false shepherds who are treating people this way, you've got to deal with me. So when you think people are getting away with mistreating people in our churches and around the world in places where they're supposed to be taken care of, remember this verse. It continues, No longer shall the shepherds feed themselves. I will rescue my sheep from their mouths. They will not be food for them. Jesus is going to fulfill that in certain ways by walking into the temple and turning over those those tables. And he is angry with the scribes and the Pharisees. And I bet you're sitting there thinking, I bet 
You guys that are preachers and elders in here are a little nervous about this. <laughs> you know what? You're right. It makes me nervous. It should make our elders nervous. If you lead a Bible study, it should make you nervous. If you're a shepherd in any way, shape, or form, the weightiness of this is there. It's very serious. But if you're sitting here and going, I'm not a shepherd. <laughs> well, do you remember what Jesus was cleansing? He was cleansing the temple. And do you remember the words of the Apostle Paul? Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in you? Each and every person in here, if you're a believer in Christ, the Spirit of the living God indwells you. And that means you have a responsibility to be an ambassador of Christ. So here's my question to you and to me. So nobody's off the hook. We're all in this together. If we're a follower of Christ, are there tables in your life that need to be turned over? Are there tables in your life that need to be turned over? Is there something in your life or in my life that keeps other people from being drawn to Christ? Am I so concerned about business and wealth and, and making money that people can't come closer to Christ? Am I so committed to tradition and every, this is the way we've always done things that people can't come close? Am I approachable? When Jesus was on the earth, the weak, the abused, those who were beat down and wore down by sin, they felt drawn to him. They could come close to him. I've had to ask myself the question, am I approachable? Are broken and weary people welcome to me? It's a heavy question. Maybe you're thinking, Joe, this is Palm Sunday. Shouldn't we be a little bit more celebratory? No, this is a heavy day. The Messiah of the world came to his people. They didn't recognize him. They didn't understand him. And we're going to see him reject him. It's a heavy day. It's a day of frenzy. And you and I should experience a little bit of that today. Are there tables in your life and in my life that need to be turned over? I'm going to ask you to think about that this week. When Jesus cleanses a temple, I want you to see what happens. Look with me at verse 14. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. Now, do you see that? He cleanses the temple, and the blind and the lame, the broken, the weary, those who needed him, they come in. Verse 15, but when the chief priests and the scribes saw it, when they saw the wonderful things that he did, and the children crying out in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. And they said to him, do you hear what are these, they are saying? And Jesus said to them, Yes. Have you never read out of the mouth of infants and nursing babes? You have prepared praise and leaving them. He went out of the city to Bethany and lodged there. Now just let that sink in for a second. What upset them? Do you see what the Pharisees saw? They saw him do wonderful things. And what was their response? They were indignant. That word means to seethe with anger. They were furious. They just saw a man heal the blind. They just saw a man make lame people leap and bound. And their response 
was to be angry. And what are they angry about? These children aren't behaving. (laughs) These children aren't saying the things that should be said in church. You know, this is an opportunity for us to think about children. I want you to think about how receptive a child is. When we have baptisms, have you noticed who most of the baptisms are? They're children. Children have a natural receptivity to truth, a natural ability to, to appreciate wonder. When those children saw Jesus heal maybe their aunt or maybe their sister or maybe their mother or their father or a friend, they were like, wow, this, this has got to be him. Hosanna to the son of David. They sang his praises. That was the appropriate response. But the Pharisees and scribes said, that's not the way we do things. That's not the way it's supposed to be. Jesus, you need to tell these kids to be quiet. You know what they did? They stumbled over the stumbling stone. Isaiah spoke about this. He talked about how there would be laid in Zion a stumbling stone. The Apostle Paul exegetes that for us really well. I want us to take a moment and look at what he says. In Romans 9, we read this. Paul's answering the question, why did, these, why did the leaders particularly, why did they miss the righteousness that was offered by Christ? And he writes this, why? Because they did not pursue it by faith, but as it were based on works. They were so committed to the old way of doing things. They have stumbled over the stumbling stone, and as it is written, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. The children came to it by faith. The children saw it, and they were accepting it. Remember, it's just a simple gift. But if you're a proud person, if you're a person who's used to earning what you get, this would be This would be offensive. Those Pharisees were having an internal frenzy. (laughs) Remember we talked about how that can happen internally. I missed this quote. Let's go back. I love it. It's by Ellen Goldman. Suddenly frenzy shows up and our emotional brain hijacks our cognitive brain and we're spinning. They're so upset that things aren't being done the way they expected them to be. They can't see what's happening right before their eyes. But the children could. The children saw what was happening. The children saw it and believed. Isn't that amazing? I'm going to ask you another question. What biased expectation deters you and I from fellowship with Christ? What keeps us from going there? What keeps us from seeing him? Where is he acting and saying and speaking in a way that we don't really understand We don't want to stumble over the stumbling stone. We don't want to stumble on Jesus. We want to place our faith in him. So we've looked at these three sections in this area. Jesus came in as the Prince of Peace, and he caused a frenzy. He caused a stirring, a stampede, and he caused a stumbling. But what about today? Does Jesus still cause a stumbling today? Does he still cause a frenzy today? Well, the answer is yes. As I thought through this and wrestled with these questions myself, I had to think about it this way. You know, the reality is we kind of want a Jesus that will destroy our enemies. We all have certain people that we don't like. 
maybe in the world, maybe in our neighborhood, maybe in your family, and we really want Jesus just kind of take them out. We want him to fix it. He want him, we want him to make the bad circumstances go away. You know, one of the things we talked about is this whole concept of enemies. Should we even have enemies? There may be people that count us enemies, but when Jesus invites us to love people and to pray for them, can you really, can you really see them as your enemy? Or is that really just kind of a category that needs to disappear? Because Jesus died for them. His blood was shed for them. Those people that make our head explode on social media, that we really are disgusted by the things they say and they do, do we pray for them? What about profitable Jesus? We'd like Jesus to be profitable, wouldn't we? We don't want him to get in the way of business, and yet we have a Jesus who says, hey, if somebody begs from you, give to them. Hey, if somebody asks for your tunic, give them your cloak as well. And every time we teach that, we go, but now let's explain what that means. No, I want you just to wrestle with it. Just let it set. I want it to just set with me. Jesus said, if someone begs from you, give to them. That's not good business, Jesus. That kind of upsets me a little bit. Surely you mean something else. I need to ask myself, am I willing to let him stir me a little bit? If I'm honest, I want a safe Jesus. I want a comfortable Jesus. I want one that thinks like me. It's scary. You may think so too. I want a Jesus that looks like me. I want one who asks me to serve when it's convenient. You see, I have some biases, and I bet you do too. There's some things when we come to Jesus, we need to be willing to take off our, our, our glasses that maybe tint things, and we need to look at him as he is. To follow Jesus means to take him as he is, not as we want him to be. We need to start seeing the world as he is. You know, we've heard it said it's a dog-eat-dog world. It's true. The phrase is both unwritten and written that we live in a world where it's survival of the fittest, Darwin didn't come up with that idea. That's just kind of human nature. We, we live in a culture where it is survival of the fittest. You've got to be tougher than the next guy. You've got to be better than the next guy. You need to win. And Jesus comes in. And he is, in fact, the quintessential counter-cultural figure of history. And we want to look at him as we look at ourselves and other people and he's not that way. He's not that way. He is going to challenge every single one of us. We want a Jesus that changes the world, and he came to change us. And that's hard to accept sometimes. On this Palm Sunday, as we listen, as we, as we sing, as we meditate this week, let us think about this, that Jesus is very different than we are. His way of doing things is very different than our way of doing things. This survival of the fittest, it seems to be hardwired. It's a dog-eat-dog world. You need to get them before they get you. And this idea we want Jesus to be like us, he's going to be different, and he's going to challenge our thinking. And we need to ask the question, where are the tables in our lives that he would turn over? So I put these into some three questions. Three questions I'm going to ask you to meditate on this week. I've been thinking about them already. I will tell you they're a little painful. 
Do we love and pray for our enemies? I want you to think right now who you really don't like in the world today. It could be a political party, a political figure. It could be a race. It could be a segment of culture. Who are the people that you really hate the way they talk and the way they act and the things that they do? Jesus asked us the question, do you pray for them? Do I pray for them more than I talk, complain, or mock them? And I'm, I'm sad to com- confess to you that oftentimes I mock and complain far more than I pray. It's a tough one. Is our temple a place where the broken and disenfranchised are welcome to even, even drawn near? This is a question for our church. This is a question for your home. This is a question for us as individuals. Have we created an atmosphere where people who are maybe covered up in secret sins can approach us and say to us, I need help, the way they approach Jesus? Are we people that can come and say, I'm broken and I'm struggling with this, that, or the other thing, and they will feel welcome? Are we a place where curious people can come in, where a lost person who has a lot of crazy ideas about God and Jesus, are we a place where they can come in and ask questions and not be berated for not thinking like I do or like we do? That's a tough one, too. One more. Are we willing to open our eyes and accept Jesus when he's different than we thought he would be? Are we willing to take him as he is? I've had to change my view on Jesus over the years. I've been a believer in Christ since I was eight years old. I love him, but I've learned that he's different than I thought he was, and I'm still learning about him. And some of it's challenging, and it should be. That's a tough question. Will I take him as he is? Will I accept him when he's different than I thought he would be? So those three questions and one scripture that I'm going to ask you to think about. The scripture will be familiar to many of you. It's John 14, 6. Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. It's an interesting, very compact scripture passage, but there's a lot in there. I am the way. When we ask ourselves, how are we to live this life? Jesus says, I am the way. And it's a very different way. Remember the quintessential countercultural figure of all of history? He's going to do things differently than you expect or think. And he says, that's the way. Not defeat your enemy, not conquer your enemy, not mock your enemy. Pray for your enemy. Love your enemy. Ooh. That's the way. I'm the truth. How do I run my business? How do I parent my kids? How do I encounter this certain circumstance? He's the truth. He's the model. We're going to be humble. We're going to be honest. He paints a picture for us in his character. That's the way. That's the truth. And then the life. We all want life. We all want to have a vibrance and and an anticipation, expectation of of what it's going to mean to to live our life. But Jesus says, I am the life. And we're going to have to look at his life and understand that sometimes we're going to be misunderstood. Sometimes we're going to be there for peace, but everybody else is for war. And it's not going to be accepted well. It's a tough passage of Scripture to think about. But at the end of the day, what Jesus is saying is, I am God. 
and will you, will you change to follow me? We can't keep changing him so that we are more comfortable following him. Tough questions. Tough lesson today. I want us to be stirred up a little bit. We move towards Friday, Good Friday, but we're going to talk about the despair of that day, the sorrow of the day, the, the blood of shed, that was shed on that day for you and for the people you don't like and I don't like. He shed that blood for the whole world. And we're going to set our minds on the despair, the sacrifice that he made for us. And then Resurrection Sunday, we're going to celebrate that he's resurrected, and we need to celebrate that he's resurrected for everybody. The great news is the gates are wide open. We're in the age of grace. If you're here today and you've never heard Jesus spoken about this way, I want you to know Jesus is for you. And Jesus' arms are open to you. You've been listening to the weekly broadcast of Grace Church, an independent Bible teaching church in Wichita Falls, Texas. You can join us for worship Sunday mornings at our campus on Stone Lake Drive in Wichita Falls. Stream services live online at gracechurch.com or subscribe to our podcast published on Apple, Google, and Spotify. From all of us at Grace Church, thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.